What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Talking Halos. I am your host today, Jared Timms, and I kind of have a kind of a fun one here for you guys. A little bit different. I'm not joined alongside anybody, and I kind of pondered it for a little while about you know if I wanted to add you know any news to this podcast or if I wanted to just kind of leave it as is. And as you guys are listening, I'm going to leave it as is. And it's kind of started, it started off, it definitely started off as a Talking Fans episode. And the more and more that I thought about it, the more and more I really just kind of wanted to leave it as an interview with my guest, who I will introduce when we get to that part. And, you know, it's, I don't even really know kind of how to explain it, because it's such a unique and fun and just cool story in general. I kind of sat back and kind of caught myself being a fan of this story. And I mean, you guys can, will definitely hear it in my voice. I'm just kind of sit there in awe, but you know, I, I just, I wanted, I wanted to do it. It's respect. I want to do it. It's due diligence because my guest that I'm going to have on, his name is Ken Schneider, um, longtime Angels fan. And you'll hear more about why he's an Angels fan coming up here in a minute, but, you know, I just kind of wanted to leave this one here as is, and just let you guys kind of, you know, take it in for a second. The cool story with Ken is that his grandfather is Stan Sparrow, and Ken will kind of tell us more about what Stan did, but he's kind of an unsung hero in a sense of it's hard to explain. I, I like to, I, and I'm texting Ken this too, he's kind of an unsung hero of SoCal sports and was really good friends with Gene Autry and later I find out Jerry Buss and a lot of big time people in SoCal. So without any further ado, here's myself and Ken on this installment of Talking Fans. <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to another installment of Talking Fans, and it seems to be kind of a hit. Brock likes it, and I've had a lot of people asking to come on, and I'm here now with our next Talking Fans guest, Ken Schneider. Did I get that right? You got it. Perfect. Ken, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. It may be off-season, but love talking Angels baseball. Awesome. I do, too. I know we've, we've been kind of texting, and you know we're gonna, we can talk baseball for hours, and I figured, I know, we both figured let's just talk about it on here. So, Ken, I know you have a really cool story. You emailed um, Derek and myself, and Derek was like, all right, get this guy on because it's a really cool story that you have. But first off, you are from Detroit, correct, or you're there right now? So I, I live in the, in the Detroit metropolitan area, but born and born and raised uh, in Southern California, right? Born and raised, born in Newport Beach, and moved up to LA right during the O2 season, but just moved out to Detroit about two months ago. Oh, so you you you're just barely been out there. How, how are you liking the weather out there? I know we got winter time, but is the weather okay for you? <laughs> You know, so so far so so far so good. We'll we'll see once once December hits January and February, I might have a different answer for you. <laughs> All right. So first question, and I think this is going to kind of get into our cool story that you have. How did you become an Angels fan? Sure. I, I think it's kind of cliche sometimes, but I think it, it is definitely true in my case. I was born into it. Um, and so what I mean by that is is uh, my grandfather, uh, his name's Stan Spiro. 
um, was one of the people responsible for bringing the Angels uh, to Anaheim and bring, making them a Major League Baseball team with Gene Autry. And so growing up, you know, I, pretty much my first baseball game was, you know, while my mom was still pregnant and went to games pretty much every season from when I was a newborn up until, uh, up until today. Had season tickets, and so you know, I was my I was the first grandchild of my of my grandfather who liked sports, and so from there on, he just he made it a mission to make sure he indoctrinated me with everything Angels baseball. That's that's so cool, and and again, that's kind of why I started this whole little talking fans thing to get these kind of stories on there. So I mean, you kind of you know grew up Angels baseball in a sense. Do you have any kind of I guess cool stories behind? Any of that that, you know, I mean, meeting players or any anything along the lines of that? Sure. I, I have a few. Um, so the first one is actually, it's one before I was born, I think kind of highlights a, kind of what my grandfather used to do. Um, when my dad was first dating my mom, he uh, my mom took him to a, a, a game at Anaheim Stadium back in the 80s. And, you know, she would, oh, she's up in the, you know, in Jean's box. And my grandpa, grandpa comes along, and you know that whole stereotypical meeting the girlfriend's father for the first time kind of thing. You're trying to show a bit of muscle. Um, my grandfather walks into the, the press box with Reggie Jackson and uh, goes to my dad, and he just goes, oh, so you're the, you're the guy that Leslie's dating, huh? <laughs> um, and, and so he's like, listen, from that moment on, uh, I, knew, I, knew it was, I knew it was serious, but what, what guy wouldn't want to meet Reggie Jackson after you know, a couple of dates uh, with a girl, huh? Exactly. That that is that is always cool. I mean, just for myself, I when I went to church, I, w- I went to church with Rex Hudler. That's my little bit of, I guess, claim to fame when it comes to talking to people. And Rex, you know, knew my dad, and I would not necessarily hang out with his daughter, but I mean, we were in the same church, you know, Bible study group together. So I was good friends with him, and that was always a pretty cool connection. So I I, I totally I I understand that, and that's that's super super cool. I mean. Just the fact that, you know, I mean, everybody knows Gene Autry is the man, but nobody really knows kind of the, the stories behind that. And you have those stories, which is super, super, super cool. And, I mean, man, how, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? So I'm, I'm 28. Okay, 28. So, I mean, we're about, we're about the same, same age. So, I mean, where do you like to sit at Angels games, if you don't mind me asking? When yeah, you absolutely. Yeah. So like I also I also went to Chapman University right down the road from uh, from from Anaheim Stadium during my undergrad and so I got a little bit of a mix. We sat in section uh, 335 right along the first baseline, where's where our season tickets and we call I, you know I called with my dad we called them the best seats in the house because uh, we didn't like to be too low. We wanted to have a little bit of perspective. But I mean uh, we sat like our sections right. Uh, Bobby Gritch used to have season tickets right behind us. We used to run into people there all the time. But then I would also. Um, the World Series, I sat up in the 500s. That was one of the things. I've been to a lot of baseball stadiums just because I used to tra- I travel used to travel for work just as a fan. And what I loved about Angel Stadium was it was you know it's built to, to partially to house football. You know, there's not a bad seat in the house. So the 500s are great. Uh, first base side was always my always my preference. That was always where I liked to be. Yeah. So I mean that's awesome. I'm I'm with you on that. I said it before. I love the 500s. I can't get up. I'm not, and there's not a bad spot in the house. You, you really cannot. So kind of back on to your grandfather with that. I mean, what part, you know, like how close was he to Gene Autry? If you, I mean, if you know about that, I know it's, you know, been a while and all that, but how, how close was he? Oh, he was, he was very close. Uh, so kind of as a, as a context, my grandfather worked as the general manager 
uh, and vice president of sales for KMPC and Golden West Broadcasting. And so, uh, set, you know, uh, that, that back in the day, they not only used to uh, announce the Angels, but they would they would announce the the Bruins, the the Rams, the Dodge. You know, they would have some stuff with the Dodgers, the Lakers. Um, and so, my grandfather was really uh, kind of. Uh, ear to the ground in terms of the LA sports scene, um, but had a really close connection with Gene, um, and had a really uh, very strong connection to the point that Gene was at my parents' wedding um, when they got, when they got married, very, uh, pretty close to uh, right before Gene sold the team in the '90s. Um, but I mean, uh, the kind of the story that that I have in terms of uh, Gene and my grandfather's relationship is. Uh, you know, in the uh, in the 50s and the 60s, about, I would say about 58 to 60s, as my mom tells it, uh, my grandfather comes. Uh, my grandfather comes home. living living in uh, in Sino at the time, and he goes. My grandfather walks in, laughs, and says, "You're never going to believe what Gene just did." And my my mom and, and her sisters and my grandma go, well, "What?" It's like, well, he just bought a huge plot of land. Uh, to build a baseball stadium. And they said, well, where are you going to build, well, you know, where would you build a baseball stadium? He goes, oh, down in Orange County, there's nothing there. The land's real cheap, but there's this small theme park right next to where the stadium's going to be. I mean, it's not going to last. I think it's called Disneyland, but I mean, it's not going to be there for a while. We're probably going to be the biggest attraction. And, and I, it's just kind of those kinds of interactions where you're just like, well, I, you know, I read about Gina Hutchery. You know, I went to his, you know, museum all the time, but like those kinds of stories are always ones that I'd love to hear from them 10, 20 times growing up. That's, that's hilarious. You know, a little, little theme park, Disneyland, you know, like now they control, control the world almost basically. I mean, and the fact like that you kind of know the background of how Angel Stadium came to be as well is, I mean, just super, super cool. And I said, I mean, we could talk, we could talk baseball like this forever and Gene Autry forever. And, you know, I mean, I don't think there are too many people around anymore that really kind of have this connection with Gene Autry anymore because, I mean, he's, in a sense, an old soul. I mean, he was he was the man back in the day. I mean, there's so much more behind Gene Autry that a lot of people don't know. And, I mean, the more and more research you do on Gene Autry, the cooler it gets. I mean, country music, all, all that fun stuff that he does. I mean, TV shows. And it, and I, I, I wish, in a sense, I, I wish, I totally wish, that he would have been around to get a World Series because he is the one guy – in the Angels franchise, I mean, in front of Mike Trout even, that deserves a World Series ring. I mean, he got it, and he was happy about it for sure, wherever he was. But, I mean, he was the one guy that deserved a World Series ring, and he got it in 2002. He wasn't there, unfortunately. But, yeah, I mean, just to have this connection with, you know, the beginning of Angels baseball is super, super Super cool. I mean, do you have, like, I just want to hear stories from you. Do you have anything else, you know, about, like, I know I see you smiling here, trying to think of something. I mean, do you have anything else story-wise? <laughs> yeah, man, I've, I've, got, I've got a couple of fun uh, stories. So, Rat, uh, rattle them off, because I'm sure the listeners are going to love hearing some of these. Yeah, so uh, so a couple of fun ones, something about my grandfather. The one that, one of the cool stories that I have um, that was kind of just a, an exempt kind of an, a, not an exemplary of who he was, but just was one of those things where I never really truly appreciated it. He took me to, so one of the first fan fests that I ever went to was right after, uh, in 04. So we just brought in Guerrero, you just brought in Guillen, Escobar. You know, there's a lot of hype after that 03 season that was just kind of a disappointment, a little bit of a letdown. 
my grandfather and I are walking through the festivities. We're going, you know, backstage somewhere. And, and one by one, as we're walking through, you know, Bud Black, Madden, uh, Bill Stoneman all come up to my grandfather, just like, oh, hey, like, Stan, how are you? How are things? Uh, and then looks over and they're like, who is this? And, and, and my grandfather turns and is like, listen, this is your, this is your biggest fan. This is my grandson. Uh, and, you know, was able to have a, a conversation with Bud Black and Joe Madden as, like, as a 12 year old kid who just starting to realize that baseball was not in his playing future, but still loved the game and wanted to talk about it. Um, and so I was, you know, talking ships and hit and run with Joe Madden at 12 and <laughs> was, and I mean, if, if you were to, talk, to tell me like at what point, like I knew, like my own theory is like Joe Madden was the brains behind the 2002 success as it was in my opinion. And I, I knew he was going to be a manager from right there. Um, and if it wasn't going to be for the angels, I was going to, it was going to be sad. Um, so, I mean, that was a really cool uh, story. I used to trick or treat with my grandfather at Mike Stosha's uh, house out in Westlake uh, all the time. And we used to, you know, one time we would go in and just have like a 10 minute conversation with Mike Stosha. Uh, and so like, I understand like, I'm super grateful to have these experiences because I mean, this is the, this is a guy where, uh, as I'm sure a bunch of people who are listening to this could, could relate, you're not waking up on a Sunday morning. There's three sports sections lying out on the, on the kitchen table. And you're just kind of looking at that, you're reading through. And I remember of all the conversations I ever had with, uh, with, with like anybody who ever went up to my grandfather, the one that I like always remember, uh, it was a little apocryphal. I, I don't claim any, any special powers, but I, I remember talking to Bill Stoneman and I said, Hey, listen, I think you need to, um, I think you need to make a big trade. And he goes, Oh, like, sure, Ken, like what kind of trade is like, I want, he's like, we need to trade for Miguel Cabrera. <laughs> Like that, that needs to, that needs to happen. And we were talking and little did I know, you know, four or five years later that the story came out that we almost traded for Miguel Cabrera um, and could have in theory have had Miggy and Mike Trout on the same team. And I, I always kind of laugh and say like, you know what, if Bill Stoneman only listened to me, <laughs> maybe we would, would have had both of them and, 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 you know, who needs pitching after that? No, you're, you're the brains behind that whole trade. You know that, right? You, you were the I, guy. You know what, I, you know, I I, I, even, I joke, I even threw out, I'm like, listen, we can get rid of Jeff Mathis. And I told him, like, I like Mike Napoli a little bit better than Jeff Mathis. And and he, he was like, oh, well, that's interesting. And, you know, walked on and never listened to me again. And as you know, that was like one of the centerpieces of that trade was supposed to be Jeff Mathis, you know, Kendrick, Ivar, and Joe Saunders. You know, I would do that trade in a heartbeat. I don't know about you. No, I, I totally would too. And I, I mean, there's always been like, random names thrown in there like Nick Aidenhart and such like that and yeah I I totally agree with you I'm I'm you are now the mastermind behind a Miguel Cabrera trade and we're gonna blame now no offense I don't think I hope Bill Stoneman doesn't hear this but we're blaming Bill Stoneman for not getting uh Miguel Cabrera this is this is you you are the you are the man behind it you're also the man behind Joe Madden and his shifts as well I'm, I'm going to give you well, that. I'll, 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 I'll give, Joe Matt was talking to me about all those kinds of shifts and stuff. I was listening to it as some kid who used to play, you know, first, first base used to just yell at his, uh, you know, yell at his less athletically inclined teammate at, at second base, not diving for it. Joe had that stuff in his head all, all, all along. I will, I will give Joe, Joe Madden, my goodness gracious, um, that's the person who I, I'm still in marvel over in terms of just he that, that old phrase, like he's forgotten more about baseball than I will ever know. Yeah, no, I, he is honestly probably one of the smartest 
players and or people in baseball history when you look at it. I mean, bringing a World Series to the Cubs, making Tampa what they were. I mean, you can say all you want, you know, about managers just kind of being a face out there and, you know, managers in the past for the Angels, like Brad Ausmus and such, being the face. But, I mean, he's so smart. And, I, like I said, it, it's one of those things where you could sit down with some of these guys forever and just not learn what they – like, not learn enough from them. Like, they just know everything, which is which is super cool. Did you ever um, put any shifts that Joe Madden talked to you in play? You know, at, at, when – by the time I realized my athleticism wasn't catching up to what I remember of the game, it was not the point where I was going to go challenge my assist, my, uh, my assistant coach in Little League to start putting people in certain places or, or middle school or anything like that. But it was, it, you know, I took that knowledge and just started yelling at the television while watching games. That's great. That's, that's so cool. I mean, I love hearing these stories. But I have, um, let's see, a couple questions for you. And like I said, we can get back to maybe another story at the end. Um, who... Or and who was your favorite player growing up, or who is you know maybe a couple guys because I'm sure you were around like you know stories about guys that you know a lot of players don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean in terms of I mean there's there's always you know the guys I heard stories about Dean Chance and Frank Tanana and, and uh, Jim Fergosi, but in terms of, like my lifetime, uh, my favorite player growing up was Troy Gloss. Uh, still, still to this day, 25 is is my roulette number if I hit if I hit to Vegas. <laughs> Uh, will always be. Um, and, I mean, for me, Troy Gloss was, uh, you know, I remember Mo Vaughn and Troy Gloss and that like, promise of home runs every game at some point and just, uh, I don't know. And it was this is even even before the World Series heroics that, that Gloss was able to provide for us. I just loved his swing. He was a giant, strong, classic third baseman that, uh, I could I could never get over seeing him hit home runs, especially that 2000 season. Yeah, you bring up Gloss's swing, and Gloss was my favorite player growing up too. And I wore 25 all the way up until Glad came in 27. But yeah, that swing I always wanted to try to copy it as best as I could. But it was just such a like fluent and beautiful swing. Like I, I don't even know how to explain it. It was just a beautiful swing. And then when the ball came off the bat with Gloss, like. The one, like, not the one memory, but one of the best memories is the double in the World Series. Like, that swing is just beautiful. <laughs> and I was, I was at that game, too. And I, there was something. You know when you have, in any sport, it doesn't have to even be baseball, but that moment where, you, where you're like, I know something great is going to happen. And, and I didn't know it when Adam Kennedy came up in the ALCS. I didn't know that you know, he was going to have that, those kind of moments. I knew Gloss was going to make that hit. Yeah, no, I know. Like I said, I mean, for myself, I wasn't old enough to appreciate it, and you were at the game, so you totally appreciate it, and you remember this. But, like, I just don't – I was not old enough to appreciate the World Series, and it kind of sucks for me. But next question for you here, who is your favorite player that others might not remember? So, like, not a Rob Quinlan type of guy, but somebody like that who didn't really play that much or, like, I don't know. I like Ben Weber. My, my whole thing is a Ben Weber type of guy. Like, I tried to copy his – is uh, pitching mechanics. I, I, I hear you. When I, when I was trying to do a little bit of pitching, uh, I, I used to always, me and my brother used to try to do the, the, the pump action, yep. uh, and then the ball would go over the fence <laughs> and the neighbor's phone. Uh, but in terms of, like, a, a player that I loved that doesn't get a lot of uh, a lot of love, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to pull back the kind of uh, the mid-2000s playbook here. Jeff Devanin. Yes. I... 
I, I, you know, I saw Jeff Devanen hit his uh, cycle against the Red Sox, and I kind of just looked at him. I'm like, you know what? Like, I don't give this guy any credit. This guy plays hard. He's he was he was there, and you know he was never talked about, but he had those select moments. And I just I loved seeing uh, Devanen playing that kind of hustle. And you know, if, if you asked him to go and leg out a, a, a double, he's gonna leg out a double. If he's gonna hit a home run. He's gonna hit a home run. But he never quite got the love that you know even guys like you know, Anderson, Salmon, Fulmer, Gloss gotten those in that area either. Yeah, he was the uh he was gritty, he was the David Eckstein, David Fletcher, you know, Joe Madden style of guy who, you know, really thrived um during that time in Angels baseball that, you know, that made the team who they were. So last question for you here, then I'll get one more story. I'll get you kind of thinking on a story if you have another one. You get to play GM, what are you doing here with this team at the for the remainder of this offseason? Isn't that the million-dollar question? It is. Uh, you know, so I, I, I know we've, you know, you, you, you've been talking about uh, Herman Marquez. I'm actually going to another Colorado pitcher, uh, John Gray. I want to see what it, what, it, what it takes to potentially bring John Gray. He's got, a, I think, a year or so left on his contract. Um, get him out of that, I mean, it's, you know, 2013 draft pick. Like, my, my goodness, the stuff that he has. Get him out of Colorado. Um, I think he's somebody that you can get. That's not going to cost you, you know, a, you know, Blake Snell prospects, um, but that you can buy low and, and potentially extend him. Uh, you know, I would have, uh, uh, you know, the, I think catcher, I think catcher is incredibly important. I love, I, I love the the growth that Stassi's had, but I think doing a an offense, you know, potentially an offensive minded catcher. You know, I saw Suzuki's name being thrown around. I don't think that that's a terrible. Uh, a, a terrible idea, Alex Avila, even, um, or Russell Martin, someone with a little bit of that, because um, I want that catcher to also have some experience, the mentorship uh, to bring in. And then, you know, maybe this is a, maybe this is a, a pipe dream here, but let's, let's, uh, let's build a Super Bowl pen. I want to build a Super Bowl pen. Let's get Brad Hand in there, see if he wants to accept uh, a little bit of uh, money to go back and, 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 uh, hook up with Mickey Calloway, and he can tell him uh, stories of, of, of when he was a Cleveland Indians pitching coach. Yeah, no, I like I like all of those. I love a John Gray trade because I feel like it's kind of a Dylan Bundy type of move where you're not going to give up too much, but Gray could be a really good pitcher for you. And Bundy was a Cy Young candidate for his 10 starts. He was one of the better pitchers in the AL, and I think Gray could be that same guy or, I mean, probably any guy you take from Colorado, Marquez, Freeland. I mean, really anybody who you can get out of Colorado is going to be probably a pretty decent pitcher because they have a nice staff, but, I mean, the ball just flies there and the splits are crazy. But, yeah, and, you know, bringing in an offensive-minded catcher is always a, a plus. And my buddy keeps telling me it's like, Real Mudo, Real Mudo, Real Mudo is going to come. It's like we're going to – the Angels are going to go ahead and not, you know, do anything. I'm cool with an offensive-minded catcher, I think. You know, that complements Stassi really nice. And do you have an outfielder, just like a fourth outfielder? you want to bring back Brian Goodwin? Um, I'd actually, and, and, and I know this this year was not his greatest output, let's see if Jock Peterson wants to come here. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was supposed to come here in that trade um, that, you know, I may or may not have feelings about. And uh, you know, to bring bring him in here on a on a on a one year a one year deal, keep him in Southern California, and you know what? Like uh, getting uh, our you know that this lineup 
as great as it is, needs a, you know, really like a nice left-handed thumper. I mean, you got Jared Walsh, who, you know, hopefully is going to play a lot of games at, at first base. But even if you even if you platoon uh, Jock Peterson, I think Jock Peterson would be great and, and give Adele some time to start off the season in, in AAA. Yeah, no, let Adele go to AAA, work. You know, the ball's going to fly there. Let him get his swing, let, his, get, let him get his feel, let him go hit 20 home runs there, whatever he's going to do. Let you know they talked about Schwarber. Jock is very similar to Schwarber, I feel like. And yeah, I, I, I totally see that. Let him let him take advantage of that short right field porch now. You know, with Otani and you know Walsh and you know it, it'd be a lot of fun. I, I could definitely see that, and I like that move too. And if Marsh is ready, Marsh could be a lot of fun there too. So, last thing before I let you get off. One more story. I'd love to hear another story, and I'm gonna. Have, I'll, I'm definitely gonna have to get you back on to tell more of these fun stories because, like I said, not a lot of people, you know, have these in, really cool stories anymore about Gene Autry and kind of the beginning of Angels baseball and all the fun things that came along with that. Meeting the players, you know, talking with Bill Stoneman, Madden, Socho, you know, trick or treating at Socho's house, all that fun stuff. So, do you have one more story for us? Yeah, yeah, I got I got a, a, an O2 World Series story. Uh, so uh, when I was in Orange, you know, Orange, this great part about being a kid in Orange County, um, especially during that point, you know, you, you especially if you're able to convince your parents, like, hey, school ends at three thirty, let's uh, let's go catch uh, let's go catch an Angels game. Uh, you know, and you come back and maybe you leave by the seventh inning, but you're still home in time and you're able to tell your friends all about it. You know, unfortunately, I moved out of Orange County right at the start of, of fall 2002. So the baseball season ends, but, you know, my grandpa, who lived at that point still up, up in L.A., he's like, listen, we're not missing this World Series. Uh, and so game six, we go in there, and uh, we went to game two. Game two was great. And he's like, hey, let's go to batting practice. So he gets a, he sneaks us uh, through. My grandfather had uh, so I don't know if they do this anymore, but when you, uh, for him, because he worked in Major League Baseball for 40 years, he actually got a pass, and this pass gives him a ticket at any stadium in America, guaranteed. And and of course the you know when Montreal still had their stadium in the Rogers Center up in Toronto, uh, and so he had that um, ticket. He knew my me and my dad were going to go, so he came, he went along with us. So we were in the right field corner uh, for, for batting practice right underneath the uh, what was formerly known as the Knothole Club. It'll always be the Knothole Club to me. Yep. And we see a guy just launching bombs, absolute bombs out to right field. And the Giants, you know, had two huge, two left-handed bats. Uh, and and no, only one was going to be that size. So people figured out very quickly that, that was Barry Bonds hitting some bombs in the right field corner. Uh, and so, you know, he's putting dents into the scoreboard. He's hitting, you know, 10, 12 rows up. But he gets uh, a little bit ahead of one and pulls it right next to the foul pole. And uh, I was in the right place at the right time. And so not only did, was I able to get a uh, 2002 World Series ball, and I can, you know, still have the with the uh, with the insignia on it, but there's a little there's a little bruise on where, where he hit it, where I got it, and I, I kept it for a while. It's kind of one of those cool things that I, I, I kept in my like little uh, baseball collection for, for a while. But even as it came down, my grandfather looked at me and he goes, listen, you know, my, my, my grandfather, you know, was an usher in Cleveland, which is where he's from when Bob Feller was playing. You know, he's seen 
Willie Mays, he saw Hank Aaron, he saw some of the greatest you know, hitters in baseball history. And he looked at me and he said, that man hits a baseball further than I've ever seen anybody in my entire life. Uh, so and then cool. we went back. He sat on the, the third baseline. I sat up in the 500s with my dad and saw what I will argue is one of the greatest comebacks in World Series history. It never gets the love. Nope. It, it, it never gets the recognition that some of these other games uh, are getting. But it is still, in my eyes, one of the greatest viewing experiences that I will have as a, as a sports fan. Yep. No, I, I totally agree with you. I, I, that that game in particular never gets mentioned in any – like I always hope like oh, it's going to be like 10-9 or 8 or something like that. Never gets never ever gets mentioned in top World Series games, and it's such a shame because it's such a great game. I go watch that game all day long. And, yes, they do still have those passes. Um, I've seen them before. I think it's like a gold pass, and you all you have to do is basically say, hey, look at this. I have my gold pass here. So thank you, so-and-so. Welcome to the game. And that's all you got to do to get in. Um, it's super cool. I've, I've seen them multiple times. It's it's it's, uh, it's something that, you know, not a lot of people get. But the fact that, you know, your grandpa got that is unbelievable. So, guys, thank you so much for listening. Ken, thank you for coming on. I do appreciate it so much. I'm going to have to get you on again to hear all these amazing stories that you have because it is so cool. Like we, could, like we texted, we could sit here and talk Angels baseball all day long and probably not get tired of it. So I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's it's an absolute pleasure, as I as I as I told you, and uh, and, and I mean, extended to Derek too. Huge fan of of talking Halos and and what you what you guys do. So I'm I'm just thrilled to be given the opportunity to tell a tell a story or two. Well, we appreciate that, and like I said, thank you for coming on. I I, I appreciate it. Got to get you on again. And guys, thank you so much for listening. Have a great and safe day. <laughs> Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.